Hello, everybody. Today is January 16, 2024, and I'm honored to have as my guest, my college classmate and friend, Andrew Brenner. He's the head of International Fixed Income and an owner of Nat Alliance, and he's a bond trader by training, I guess. Andy, welcome. Bob, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to be able to talk about markets and give some people some good financial advice. Well, Andy, it's, it's, I'm, I was very excited when you said yes. And for our listeners, Andy is frequently interviewed on Fox Business, Bloomberg, Schwab, and CNBC, as well as a host of other areas. And as part of your work, you monitor the Federal Reserve uh, Board's actions very carefully. What Can you just tell us what's happened over the last six months in terms of interest rates and what was the impetus for the Fed's Federal Reserve's actions? Well, I'm, I'm going to take it a little further. Over the last two years, the Fed had been easing dramatically after COVID, and it brought interest rates down to about zero. At the end of 2021, it was fairly obvious that the economy was turning around and that inflation was going to be a problem. But the Fed kind of lagged uh, before they started to raise rates. So in March of 2022, they started to raise rates, and they raised aggressively for the next year and a half, where they brought interest rates from effectively zero to where they stand right now, which is the Fed funds, which is five and a half. That's one of the biggest moves that we've ever seen in the history of the Fed. Now, granted, back in Paul Volcker's days, you had much higher interest rates, but nothing has ever moved quite as fast as zero to five and a half percent in the time frame the Fed has done. Can we just now, take one step back? People refer to Fed funds. What does that mean? It's the overnight rate that the Fed put puts into existence. So when you're borrowing money, if you're if you're going out and buying bonds and you're funding those bonds in the market, the repo rate and what have you is going to be about five and a half percent, and that's up from zero, as I just said. So that's the that's the underlying rate and the rate that basically the economy is built on. And. And so they raised the rates, and you said that they lagged. What do you mean by that? Inflation had already been starting, and, and it was fairly obvious, and the Fed was still in quantitative easing mode. They recognize now how slowly they moved. They should have started raising rates six months before. And, of course, there was a lot of government stimulus, which, which added to the inflation. And we got up to the point where CPI got as high as 11%. It's currently somewhere around 3 three and a half. But the Fed likes to look at what is called the PCE number, you know, personal consumption expenditures, and they like to look at the core. And the core right now has come down from probably somewhere around 6% to somewhere closer to 2%. And that's why we we believe the Fed is going to start. Why did they use the personal consumption expenditure as an um, index as a, or as a marker as opposed to just a CPI? So now, Bob, you're starting to get me into my economics degree from Penn, as opposed to my accounting degree, which I shared with you. Yeah. You know, because uh, and I will tell you that the personal consumption is more forward looking than the CPI, which is more backward looking. You know, I don't want to make this a, a thing of, of getting into the real details, because I don't think that's the most important part for people to be interested in. But CPI looks at rents, looks at housing prices and rents do not change that quickly because of, of the way the rents are. And PCE looks at, at more forward-looking information, which is what the Fed has to do. The Fed has to look forward and not backward. 
and that's why they use PCE more than they use CPI. Jerome Powell, who's the chair of the Fed, is a big proponent of, of PCE. So that's what we watch. And, you know, other numbers, I mean, personal, you know, PPI, uh, which is the uh, uh, production index, index, has been pretty much negative over a while. So all that stuff has come back. So what you had is in late 21, the markets had started to show inflation, and the Fed did not react to it until March of 22. And then they acted slowly, but then they got very aggressive. As they moved things more aggressively, the economy started to slow down, but really not that much. Unemployment is still at record lows, and yet and the Fed has moved rates. Now, as I look at things going forward, we look at what Bloomberg has is WIRP, which is World Interest Rate Probabilities. And it looks to me like the Fed's going to ease six times this year, starting in either March or May, and then at every other meeting for the rest of the year. So where Fed funds are right now five and a half, my feeling is they should be closer to 4%. And what, what the markets have done, I mean, we trade the actives, two years, five years, 10 years, 30 years. We also look at the curve. And we look at two tens is the one I most actively follow. And two years have gone since October 27, October 22nd of, of last year. Two years have gone from 524 yield down to 418 where they stand right now. So that's 106 basis points. That's a very big move. And the Fed hasn't even cut yet. So the market is forward looking and knows what the Fed will do. So that's why you've had a nice move up in a lot of in a, in a lot of risk assets, equities being the one that most people follow. So you've had, you know, people, if you looked at the end of 2022, the Mike Wilsons of the world, who's Morgan Stanley's expert equity guru, thought that 2023 would be a very negative year for equities. It turned out to be a very positive year for equities. You had S&Ps up somewhere in the vicinity of, of mid-20s, and you had the NASDAQ Parts of the NASDAQ were up 40 to 50 percent. So a lot of people didn't anticipate this. But what's happened now since Powell said something in, in December and Waller, who said something more in October and November, that the Fed is now looking to pivot. They haven't pivoted yet, but the market has taken what they've done and have, have, have front run them, so to speak, before they've actually started to lower rates at all. They're anticipating six rate cuts for this year. That's the kind of stuff I follow because when we were there, the Fed was not as, as active and it was not, was not as forthcoming as to what they were doing. In the old days, and you and me, me would be in the old days, the Fed would not tell you what they're doing. You'd have to see what they're doing in the marketplace and then anticipate what they're doing. Now the Fed will tell you all the time what they're going to do, when they're going to do it, how they're going to do it and so on and so forth. So you have to follow that because it affects markets dramatically. And that's true with the ECB, and that's true with the Bank of England, that's true with the Bank of Canada. You need to now, follow ECB what all ECB is the European Central Bank. European Central Bank is, is another, is certainly the, the second largest one behind the uh, behind the New York Fed. And I, I don't want to get in too much detail of the Fed, but uh, let me ask away. Now, in terms of why do you, in, why are you predicting that there'll be six interest rates cuts this year? What's caused people to view that as being the uh, a reasonable projection? 
All right. So there, there are two things that people look at when they, when they look at the Fed or investors look at. They look at the economy. And my, you know, there have been a lot of people that said in 2022, in fact, at the end of 22, according to Bloomberg economists, there was 100% agreement that there would be a recession in 2023. I said there was absolutely no chance there was going to be a recession because I could see the numbers and the, the consumer was continuing to spend. And I still see that today in 2024, I see no recession. So I look at the I look at the unemployment number, which I believe is about 3.7 right now. And the 3.7 unemployment number is one of the best numbers we've ever seen. So there's plenty of jobs out there. I look at the JOLTS index, which shows how many jobs are are available to people. I look at at the you know the the economic numbers. I look at the economy continues to still be okay. There are always parts that, that don't do it, that don't do as well as others, but the economy is very strong. The second thing the Fed looks at is inflation, and their mandate is economy and inflation. So inflation got out of control, and as inflation got out of control, inflation got out of control for two reasons. One, the Fed kept interest rates too low for too long, and two, uh, and two the government you know, through the all the stimulus plans, and that's why we have such a large fiscal deficit right now, came with too much, with, with too much, uh, basically fiscal stimulus. So given those two things, inflation got out of control. Now the fiscal stimulus has slowed, and the Fed has, has risen rates, and things have slowed down. There also were, was, because of COVID, supply chain issues. Those have pretty much been resolved, even though we're seeing stuff in the Red Sea right now that could be, you know, could, could slow things down. But we're basically a consumer oriented uh, economy and, you know, we're, we're more or less good sensitive. But having said all that, uh, the Fed now looks at, at inflation and we what we talk about are real rates. So what should the interest rate be on the two year, the five year, the 10 year based on where inflation is? And so given inflation has come from 11 down to two or three, depending on how you're looking at it, we think that the most it should be is, is about 100 over that. So if you say 3% is what inflation is, and you put another 100, that's 4%. And that's why I think in the feds at 5.5%, I think they could lower rates 150 basis points, which is six interest rate cuts of 25 basis point each between now and the end of the year. And some people think it's gonna start in March, but I personally think it's gonna start in May. Now, why don't they just cut it all at once as opposed to in quarter point increments? There's probably a psychology in there that, that needs to, to be analyzed, but the Fed historically, and they didn't do that in 22 when they started raising rates, the Fed historically moves in 25 basis point increments but they were so far behind the curve in March of 22 that they moved many times 50 and even some 75 basis points for cutting because the Fed is never 100% sure as to what the market's going to do, moves in baby steps. And baby steps are tw 25 basis point increments. I've never seen a move in anything lower than 25. Uh, and and I, ha I have seen, I mean, when we first had COVID, I mean, Powell took the, I forget exactly where the interest rates were, but he went from two and a half down to zero in two, in, in two meetings. 
I mean, that's because he knew he could see right away how bad COVID was with the with basically shutting it down as to whether that made the most sense at that time. Uh, it's too hard to judge. I'm not going to second guess him. But, you know, generally speaking, they're quarter point increments unless there's something dramatic happening. Dramatic would be all of a sudden the economy were to slow down. All of a sudden we would be in much more of a war than we are now. I mean, we've got a lot of hot places in the world. Obviously, we have the Ukraine-Russian situation. We have the, the Israeli situation. We have what's going on in Iran. We have what's going on in Yemen and so on and so forth. Uh, and then you never know if China is going to do something with Taiwan. I mean, these are all things that the Fed would, would react to if that, those were to take place. Now, if there was a sudden change in the economy, the Fed does not have to wait till its next meeting. I assume they could just change the rates in the middle. That is true. But their meetings are fairly, you know, their meetings are about six weeks apart. So it, it would really be difficult for the Fed to uh, cut or to cut rates in the middle of uh, the middle of, of a Fed cycle. But I have seen them do it. It's a rarity, but it, it can be done. Now, you also mentioned that unemployment is at a record low, but there's been a lot of uh, information out there saying that people, a lot of people are leaving the workforce, which changes the unemployment rate. Yeah, it certainly does. By the government. A lot of people left the workforce first for COVID, a lot of people were uncomfortable of working even when COVID started, even when people got vaccinated and, and people started going back to work. There's still a lot of people that decided to permanently exit. There are a lot of people that decided to retire early. So you had a lot of those people. You had a lot of women leave the workforce because they were concerned about raising their kids and schools and everything else. So you had a lot of changes happen. Um, and then, of course, a lot of people, you know, got used to working from home. Uh, but now that working from home is now something that's acceptable within a lot of companies, a lot of those people are making their way back into the workforce. I mean, even myself, I probably go into the New York City office twice a week, you know, you know, unless I have something else going on. So I'll work, for, I'll work remotely the rest of the time. Now, you also mentioned that the Fed lagged in in uh, raising rates, what caused them to lag? What causes them to lag is, is the uncertainty of knowing what the right thing is to do. The Fed had been quantitatively easing for a long period of time. And when, when, the, when the situations changed, when inflation started to rear its head, the Fed was still in disbelief. They used the word transitory all throughout 2000 in 21 and two early 2022. Oh, inflation's transitory. And yeah, Bob, maybe it was transitory, but transitory to, to most people means a month, six weeks, two months. Transitory turned out to be two years. And so the Fed had to react. They were so convinced that the inflation would come down. I mean, we've experienced years upon years of deflation. You know, we have demographics that lead to de deflation. And we basically were in a deflationary environment. A lot of that also had to do with China. The China manufacturing of goods uh, led to lower prices of goods. And, and again, it all led to deflation. Well, the Fed was wrong. Inflation wasn't transitory. Deflation stopped. And all of a sudden, they're facing interest rates. So facing, uh, excuse me, facing higher inflation rates. 
So they had to make adjustments and they made them and they made them quickly. And it caused a lot of problems within the economy. I mean, 2022 was a horrible year for equities. I assume you remember that. Yes, yes. Now, there's been talk for a while, not as much lately, about an inverted yield curve. Can you explain that to everyone and why it's sure. so significant? An inverted yield curve has historically or has historically been a lead, leading indicator of an upcoming recession. Uh, in this case, it has not worked. You know, at one point you had, I like to look at twos tens because I can tell you where twos tens have been. It's meaning the two-year yield versus the 10-year yield. Historically, the 10-year yield should be higher than the two-year yield because you're taking duration risk. Two years, 10 years, you could lose a lot more money in 10 years if the markets turn around because they're more volatile because it's longer duration. So what had happened as the Fed started to raise rates, the yield curve inverted. Because the Fed only controls short rates, as they raise the Fed funds, the two-year followed. So the two-year right now is 420, as we're speaking right now, but yet the Fed funds is five and a half. But the two-year is the closest to the Fed funds of the active issues. So twos tens got to the point where they were inverted, meaning the two-year was higher in yield than the 10-year by 110 basis points. As we speak right now, that is now still negative, but it's down to 17 basis points. So the curve, as, as, it, as the Fed started to pivot in, in their viewpoint towards the last quarter of last year, the yield curve started to what I call steepen or invert less, or some person used today in something I read, de-invert. I don't know if there's such a word as that. But, but it, it sounds it, like maybe it should be one. Yeah, but, but it describes what's happening. So we think that the, the yield curve is going to go positively. Now, one thing that was pointed out to me over the weekend, I follow a guy named Jim Bianco, as well as I follow the city people, I follow the Goldman people, you know, I, and I try to, to follow the best and, and try to take from what they said. Two's 30s, the 30-year being the, the longest duration treasury, which, you know, is basically related to how a lot of mortgage rates are, are figured. Two's 30s actually is positive right now. As I look at it this moment, it's positive six. This is, according to Bianco, this is the first time since July of 22 that the two's 30s has been positive. So we can see the whole yield curve turning positive. To me, that means that there's less chance of recession, but someone else today said, made the comment that it means it's more chance of recession. These uncertainties, whatever, this is what we trade on. You know, we, we, we make markets on and we have to have an opinion per se. Looks like you're going to ask a question. So go ahead. No, but I mean, I've just, I'm, I'm, I'm always been fascinated and I've known you for 45 years and your predictions about the economy have always been extraordinarily prescient. So that's why I'm just listening to you and I'm enjoying and I'm thrilled that you're on this. Is there any other information you'd like to share with the listeners? Yeah, I just want to point out that mortgage rates, which is probably what listeners, not knowing the demographics of your listening base, but mortgage rates are something that affect a lot of people. Mortgage rates got as high as the middle of October uh, of eight and eighth for a 30-year mortgage. Now, based on everything that's gone on in the last six or eight weeks, 
it's probably down now to about six and a half. And I think it will go further down, but I think it's not going to go further down right away. I think it's going to take a few more months. So that should help the housing market. And it should help the housing market because there are a lot of people that just won't sell their homes right now. Because if they were to sell their home and go into another home, they would go from a 3% mortgage to an 8% mortgage, and that's just not acceptable. But if they're going from a 3% mortgage to a 5% mortgage, which is what I predict things will probably be by the end of the year, you might see a lot more homes for sale. So if you're in the market looking for homes, you know, you're going to get a better interest rate now. So you might want to consider it. But uh, uh, I think it's going to get better as time where, as time goes on this year. Well, I mean, I read recently that 80% of the home mortgages in this country are below 5%. And then as you, you know, and and, and the people who have a 3% mortgage or 4% are even more reluctant to give up those mortgages along the way. That's why there are a lot of homes that are not for sale. That's why the amount of homes that you're seeing being bought are new homes that are being built. So, And it's interesting that the, the national home builders have a hoard of cash. So in many cases, they don't even have to borrow to fund their operations. I wasn't aware of that, but that, that's good information to know. Yeah, I think the housing market's going to continue to be strong. Uh, and, and, you know, and we'll see what happens. And I think the rental market will start to get a little bit weaker. We've already seen this in New York City, and I expect it to be that way across the whole country. Well, over the past year or so, a lot of new rental properties have come to the market. There's an oversupply, and it's going to take the market a while to digest them, I guess, on this. Is there we'll anything else? I'm sorry? We'll have to wait and see. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners? Because it's just been great. And I'm always uh, thrilled to be able to listen to your talk about this. Well, if you want to see me, the next uh, TV hit is going to be on Fox Business on January 31st, right after Powell stopped speaking, the press conference. So probably roughly about 3.20, 3.30 on the 31st. Look for me then. Okay. And, and, what, and I assume we can just look for you regularly on... Fox, Bloomberg, Schwab, and CNBC. You know, yes, you can, Bob. What I find is you do Andrew Brenner, Nat Alliance, and you just Google search it, and you, you know, you can see a lot of things. Right. Well, Andy, you've been very generous with your time and sharing your knowledge with everyone, and just thank you very much. Bob, have a great day. We'll talk to you soon at the next pen event. Thank you. Hello, this is Bob Chalfin. The second edition of my book, A Practical Guide to Buying a Business, is now available. This book, along with my book, A Practical Guide to Selling a Business, can be purchased on Amazon. All proceeds received from the sale of my books are donated to nonprofit organizations.